are going to be live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And wow, what a show we have tonight. We had a waiting line out in front for the uh, in-studio audience. They're going to be uh, very happy they came tonight. Um, I, I've got somebody who I consider my home improvement guru, someone who I have a great deal of respect for and somebody who really, truly helped me uh, when I was trying to sell a house. I think I can say without him, uh, I might never have sold it. Uh, he's the kind of person that will not only offer to help you move, but then he'll actually do it. Most people are good on the offering part, but he'll actually come through. So uh, please help me welcome. Uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show, Mr. Todd Lamro. Todd, how are you? Hey, Ethan. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for being on the show. Um, we are going to play a game called 20 Questions. And uh, not surprisingly, it starts with question number one. Do you believe in karma? Certainly. It um, I, well, I probably say it six times a day to one of my kids at the Karma Train. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think uh, let's say the vibration you're putting out is the vibration you're getting back, and that's kind of part of the whole karma thing. Amen to that. And you know, it's funny. I remember hearing my mother uh, specifically, but probably my dad did too. But I, more than one time, just saying, you know. What you put out there is what you get back. And when you're 15, 16, 20, it doesn't always register the way it does when you're a little bit more seasoned like we are. <laughs> yeah, completely true. Yeah, but uh, I get it now. All right, question number two. Um, now, to me, this, this is a no-brainer, but I want to ask the question. So is it clear to you that your parents like you more than they did your sisters due to the fact that they actually gave you a middle name? <laughs> so it, it's funny because as I've listened to the podcast and I've listened to Nicole and I've listened to Dre and I got to admit <clears throat> that 90% of the stuff that you all talked about, I had completely forgotten or just shut away in a box. Right. right? <laughs> and so the, <laughs> so the whole middle name thing is, um, it, it, was, it just made me like laugh so hard. I was trying. Um, the the I, I think the the true history, though. Sure, it was the you know, late sixties, early seventies. Um, my middle name it was my uncle's um, middle name, based off of my grandfather's middle name. So I think it's just the old, you know, again, sixties, seventies male lineage type thing. So I don't know that if it was truly. Um, liking or not um they started off by the way with my first name was going to be jean jean paul oh my god they yeah they figured i'd get my ass kicked in middle school if they did so they (laughs) they saved me (laughs) so that's great because it's kind of a combination of their names sort of exactly yeah yep it would have made perfect sense but thank god they didn't right i mean i guess you could have gone by jp but then it would have come out that it was john paul and you know i think todd's better Um, would you be so kind to explain to, uh, myself and to the members of the audience and people listening from the comfort of their homes, the concept of Kokoro? Sure. Yeah, no, happy to. Thanks for asking. Um, from a high level, it's a Japanese word. Um, it's got two meanings. One is heart and the other is alignment of mind, body, and soul. And um, I came about it uh, reading a book called The Way of the Seal, which is related to uh, Navy SEALs and the gentleman that was a, used to be a SEAL and started a group, uh, the Kokoro Academy. But in short, it resonated with me, right? Um, trying to always keep yourself aligned and true to your heart. Yeah. And I think that uh, the amount of white noise in our lives in general is just so loud that um, it's a challenge on a day-to-day basis to uh, to stay true, to stay aligned. Yeah. So um, my license plate says Kokoro, and it does that because um, it, uh, it's a reminder for me, right? Every time I look out and see the car in the driveway or come out of a store and go to get in the truck, it's, um, it's there. So yeah. it's one of my ways. I guess it's one of my moving tattoos, if you will, right? Yeah. It's not on my forearm, 
but it's uh, it's on my truck. No, I like that. And you know, some of the things that seem seem like they they're they're no brainers. They make so much sense. But in actuality, in a practical term, it's not always easy to take those things that seem simple and apply them to your life. You almost have to have some kind of uh, constant and ongoing reminder that, you know, oh, yeah, back here, back here. So I love the fact that, you know, you think about it like a a moving tattoo. If that's how you said it, that's a great that's a great uh, way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, um, do you think it's more challenging to be a so you're a parent you're a parent you've got a big family you got four kids um you know they're all great kids all unique personalities but um they, they've you've done a really good job you and your wife have done a really good job do you think it's more challenging to be a parent now or when we were growing up <clears throat> um i think it's in a way it's almost dependent upon each of the individual personalities of the kids yep um, sometimes, so when we talk about technology and we talk about the lure of, well, the ability to get, um, something faster because of tech, right? And that could be everything from, um, something good, um, to something not so good, yeah. right? Let's say crowd, crowdsourcing your next, uh, your next illicit, um, item or not, right? So, I think it totally depends. I think one of the things that has changed, at least from my perspective, dramatically, um, and I think that we've lived it here in southern Maine a little bit, and you probably have as well, is it's almost once a year when you're hearing about a kid that's OD'd on something. Yeah. Right? And, and so for me, when I think about back in our day, um, the biggest thing my parents were typically worried about, um, at least until I was 14, was if I was going to, you know, break a limb BMXing out in the back 40, you right. know, um, or something like that. Whereas these days, you've got to worry about um, stuff that can truly um, kill your kid or hook your kid right. um, in a matter of seconds or hours. So you're sort of this hyper-vigilant 24-7 um, alertness, which I think is a little different than back then. Yeah, yeah, and, and also the speed. So, you know, worrying about something that could really harm or to your point you know take the life of your child but then the speed that that thing can get to your kid like when we were growing up if you wanted to cause mischief or get something you weren't supposed to get there was a lot of logistics like you had to you know call a a phone hopefully you got to the right person if not maybe leave a message or maybe not um you know there was a lot of it, it was a lot slower to connect good dots or bad dots um, whereas yeah. now the speed, whether again, and you said it first, you know, whether you're connecting something that's positive or negative, the speed that it goes is, is terrifying, you know? Yep. Completely. Yeah. Yep. Um, you're a big boater. Uh, I, I've had the pleasure of being out in your boat, uh, before nice little machine. Um, do you prefer boating on a lake or in the ocean? It's a, it's a tough call. I think if I, um, so some of your, not to get ahead of a question, but some of your questions from previous podcasts have been if one thing had to go away, right? So yep. if I had to pick, um, I would probably pick the ocean over a lake. Um, I like the ever-changing aspect of it. Yep. Um, I like that it's not constrained necessarily, right? Basically, I'm as constrained as, is I am gutsy, right? However far my gut wants to tell me to go out, I can go out. Yeah. Um, however, we had a phenomenal family break up at Sebago last uh, summer. Yeah, good and pictures. Sebago is a big lake, but it's not the ocean. But it was, um, it was just awesome, and cliff jumping, and tubing, and all sorts of stuff. That um, yeah, you can do some of that in the ocean. We have done tubing and stuff in Great Bay, but um, it—I uh, don't know—it's it, it, different. But um, I would—I'm—I'm I'm drawn to the ocean yeah. more. Yeah, I mean, I've—I've uh, I've never owned a boat. My dad had a boat when we were younger, a 14-foot skiff, and we used to go out in the pretty much primarily the ocean. So maybe that's why. But I love the—I love the smell of the ocean. I think the smell of the ocean is so. There's something about having that wind come on your face and the smell of the salt and being out there. It just, 
it just feels more, it feels a little bit closer to whatever nature means nowadays, uh, as opposed to sometimes on a lake. Uh, again, I've never owned a boat, but when I've been on other people's boats, it just seems like more like you're around a lot more stuff that's maybe not supposed to be there. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but they're both fun. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. And when I, so when we talk about the, the smell of the ocean, I always talk about getting salt air in my lungs, right? And yeah. trying to do that almost every day if I can. And when I was away, I was in, and this was before you and I got to know each other well, I was in Canada for quite some time, yep. um, northern, northern Canada, the middle of nowhere. Um, I may have shared with you that there were guys that worked for me that were in their 50s and 60s that had never seen the ocean before. Wow. Because they were literally so far in the middle of Canada, they just there wasn't an ocean to be seen. Um, but I would be up there for 30 days at a time, and one of the first things I would do once I got stateside and back into York is I would go to the water to get salt air in my lungs because oh. it was just something that I longed for. Yeah. No, it's part of you. That's really cool. Um, all right. So this this might tap your your uh, memory a little bit. So hopefully we can get there. But um, I'm looking to fact check something. Have you ever been viciously attacked by a round coffee table with a glass top? I have, as a matter of fact. You have? Okay. And uh, <laughs> it was 1993, if I remember correctly. And uh, neither the table nor myself fared very well. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when, you told yeah. me that, when you told me that story the first time, the thing I liked about the most was, and if I get this wrong, correct me, but the way I remember the story being told was that you were pissed off about something, you threw the table... And the table kind of bounced off something and came back and and showed you who was boss. Yeah, I was I, I was upset. I sat on the table and cracked the oh, glass. That's on top. right. That's right. I then threw the table and in in a fit of frustration, in which it then bounced off the wall and came back <laughs> and gouged the, my shin, which. Anybody that cares to ask me to see it, happy to show. I'm, I'm still maimed from it. And that was literally, what, almost 30 years ago. Wow. That is, yep. that's something. Well, hey, <laughs> some lessons are easier to learn than others, right? Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So, again, we're going to stay back uh, 30, maybe a little bit longer around that same period of time. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and perspective kind of, in my mind, perspective always becomes clearer the more time you have on this planet. So looking back um, in high school, what was a subject that you would wish you had paid a little bit more attention to when you were there? All of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no doubt about it. Um, it would actually uh, be science. Yeah. And um, the reason, and I'm not sure, uh, so it was senior year, and I was told by our housemaster, uh, Wayne Ogden, um, that I was ineligible to play soccer for the state um, uh, tournament. And the reason being is um, I had failed, or I was getting an F in science. Mm. And um, wouldn't you know it, but a few of my teammates went down and confronted my science teacher on my behalf, (laughs) (laughs) Um, asking him to seriously reconsider getting me at least north of an F to a D minus so that I could be eligible for the tournament. Wow. um, he found, he found those extra couple points to get me there. Oh, my God. I love that. That that was my next question was, did it work? So that, I wonder, you know, something like that. I, I can remember a few times where my daughter and probably myself had to find a few extra points here and there. But I wonder if, the, if that kind of thing, nowadays, everything's online and it's all like digital. I bet that's harder to pull off nowadays. Yeah, I would, you're, you're totally right, other than maybe finding the guy that can hack the system, right? But, um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> pull a Ferris Bueller and get in there and, and manipulate some stuff. But, yeah, uh, yeah no, totally true. Um, so you are uh, 
you this this winter uh, you rented a place. You have a place, the same place that your family's had for twenty years up at Okemo in Ludlow, Vermont. Uh, so I've got a couple of, of skiing questions uh, to try to stick to a theme. But before we get there, uh, what's the best place in Ludlow, Vermont to get coffee? Mm-mm. So I don't know. And the reason I don't know is, other than the condo, is um, I'm a morning coffee person when I get out of bed. Yep. So I'm typically not going to go out and get it. And it's 5 in the morning, so not many pit places are going to be open at 5. Yep. Yep. And so I end up making it there. Um, I haven't been one to uh, to sort of meander through Ludlow um, just to sit for a coffee. Yeah. Um, Probably don't have a ton of there time. There are some great sandwich places that do coffee and so forth like java babas but um yeah i've never other than making the D D run um for you know munchkins and whatever else for whoever's waking up but uh i don't know specifically about a good uh a good coffee yeah you know i, I guess i'm kind of with you so i you know i i bought a really nice nespresso to make you know good yeah. coffee at home because i'm the same as you i like having coffee first thing um, I don't like Dunkin' Donuts and I, and I just feel that there's something about Starbucks that just rubs me the wrong way. So Cafe Killam in Portsmouth is probably the only place that I would go out of my way to get a coffee for. And even then it's like, you know, twice a month when I happen to be in yeah. Portsmouth at the right time. So I can, I can see that same kind of thing happening in a place like Ludlow. Um, Yep. So we talked about this briefly before we jumped on, but uh, for everybody here listening in the audience and those at home, uh, how many ski runs have you gotten in this season? So I've got about 12 days in. Um, Jake, my my sophomore in high school, who's been with me up there mm-hmm. um, being homeschooled so he can do you know work schooling when he wants, he's got about 15 days in. Um, but i got to be honest, it, it sounds, you know, it sounds awesome, right? Stay up there, uh, weave in shoehorn runs every day. Um, life gets in the way, right? Yep. Life gets in the way, work gets in the way. And uh, so we've been up there. Uh, we've had the condo for now basically two months. And I've got 12 days in. We've been up there probably for 20 and change, maybe more than that. But uh yeah, so that, that's that's basically it. We've had some phenomenal days um, uh, this past week. Um, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday was just, it was out of our mind skiing. Um, and we've avoided weekends. And for us, as we've been talking through, you know, in the COVID era, avoiding the crowds and so forth. So, you know, I'll, I'll stick with 12 weekday days any year and and call that a great season. Yeah. But um, hopefully we've got a couple more weeks left. There you go. And, um, you know, keep our fingers crossed for at least one sunny 60-degree day of true spring skiing. Yeah. Well, I think another thing that you – I mean, 12 days is great, especially if the quality of the days is up there. But I think another thing that you accomplished by, you know, getting that place is that you kept the Okemo condo alive, which I think it's is, is as cool as anything else. You know, you guys have spent so much time there and – um, it, it's really cool that it's still something that you guys can do and who knows what the world's going to be like next year, but at least you, you're kind of in that pole position still to either take or not take that place, which I think is great. And that was honestly, we, we could have stayed home the whole season. And as long as that stayed intact, then mission accomplished Yeah, because, um, I didn't want the, uh, I didn't want the opportunity or the, the legacy, if you will, to, to, to break. Right. And, um, yeah, and I didn't want uh, any of us, my parents or otherwise, to be in some bidding war next year because somebody else came in for the second half of the season and, uh, you know, wanted to go nuts on a uh, on an offer. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so next question. What is the worst that you've been hurt while skiing? Um, well... Depends on immediate worst or long-term worst. Okay. And I say that because there was one time where um, I was at Killington, came off a cliff, and basically just completely lost it. 
um, wind knocked out of me and so forth. So immediately I thought I was dead. Um, and then there was when I tore my knee, I, I tore my, my right knee, um, the, the ligaments in it, um, at Neshoba Valley with, um, during our Wednesday afternoon ski school back in hell, it was probably 1984 mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, was in uh, in a cast for six or eight weeks, um, and I remember uh, looking down and seeing my knee completely, my ski completely backwards, and my knee inside oh, out, Jesus. and my binding not releasing. And uh, Joe Sims, who anybody that listens that's an LS grad, and Joe played football in the National Football League when he grew up, and was probably the biggest kid in our grade was slamming on my binding trying to get it to pop and it wouldn't oh my so god from from an acute standpoint that was that was probably the worst and of all places right neshoba i mean that's like that's not that's just not you want to say that you did it out at whistler or something jumping off of a you know thousand foot rock face or something not not neshoba which is probably a 600 foot bump but Damn. anyhow that, that was, those are the those are the two that truly come to mind well, I, I, I'm glad I asked the question the way I did. So when I was doing my research for this, uh, I talked to a couple of people and I heard uh, about the Neshoba crash, but I heard it was a collarbone break. Um, and the the interesting thing to me was, you know, it was Nicole that was telling me this story and she was saying that she, you know, now it's like if something like that happened now, it's like everybody that you know in the world knows within 20 minutes because it's somehow on a phone, Right. And she yep. said back then, whenever it was, 80-whatever, she said that she overheard somebody talking at, like, cheerleading practice or whatever she was doing then that, you know, Todd Lamoureux wrecked himself in the showba. And she was just like, what? You know, and she had no <laughs> idea what it was. But uh, she got the injury wrong. She said it was a collarbone, a little bit less severe than a torn knee. Well, and what's funny about that is that the collarbone happened at a church retreat in Framingham. Okay. Now. And we were on our um, on our break. It was all related to our, our CCD classes and going for our um, what uh, what do you call it um, uh, confirmation. Yep, yep. And yep. Um, we were playing football at lunch, and uh, I dove for the pass playing football, and I went sideways, and I landed on my shoulder and snapped my collarbone. Yeah, it's so that the, was uh, the uh, and at the time I was the goalie, and so that probably was yeah. That's why she's probably remembering it a little bit more because you can't play goal with a snapped collarbone. Yeah, easiest bone your body to break the collarbone. It's uh, yep, it's poor design. All right, so you recently, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're I consider you like a home improvement you know guru slash genius, and you recently transformed a part of your house into a very impressive fitness room um, and it's a great use of space. And so my question for you is which device out of all the ones that you put in there gets the most use? Yeah. So thanks for that. It, it's, um, it's still growing. It's evolving. And, and so if we had this conversation next week, it would be actually probably a different conversation, which is exciting at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's uh, my rower every morning gets used. Um, I've had, uh, you know, some of the equipment I've had in there I've had for years. And other equipment um, I ramped up after I went back to the gym mid-COVID when some of the gym restrictions started to get loosened. Mm-hmm. And the behavior was just not, I wasn't comfortable right? Just in terms of people protecting themselves or protecting me. So I said, screw it. I'm going to do it all at home. And I started then ordering more stuff and everything. Um, As a matter of fact, today I had just canceled my membership to the gym because I am 110% all in um, working out here um, going forward. Yeah. Well, you got, you definitely have everything you'd need to, to get a good workout in there. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so the, so the flip side of that question then, so you got the, the yin and the yang of life. What is the cheat food that is the hardest for you to, to, to resist? Mm. Well, or drink for that matter. 
Yeah. So, hmm, I don't know. So he, here's something that's funny. So the, some of the people that I watch as it relates to watch or read, right? Um, Jeff Cavalier, who's the guy from Athlete X, right? He does this whole thing, and is, I think he's just awesome. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how a slice of pizza can kill your body fat percentage, right, or your goal, whatever it happens to be. Now, at the same time, when I was at BU and I would have to take the train to get to the gym to go to exercise, and this is back, you know, late 80s, early 90s, I would get off the train at T. Anthony's and get a slice of pizza and a Diet Coke, and I would eat and drink that as I walked down the hill to go to the gym to work out. Yep. And I was probably, and granted, I was much younger than I am now, but I was probably in the best shape of my life. Yep, yep. Um, Tim Ferriss um, suggests that you have just a cheat day. And so six days a week, you eat according to your diet. And the seventh day, you just don't worry about it. Okay. Right? And then it's somehow, you're, over time, your desire to have that cheap food or that cheat day diminishes. Okay. So... I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I will eat my pizza and I will, you know, I'll count my calories. And if I've got to leave more on the, on the rower to even it all out, I'll do it. But I don't, um, you know, I guess I'm more conscious about my macros and what I take in yeah. than if it's a slice of pizza versus a protein shake. Yeah. No, it's a very, I don't know. that's just, that's a disciplined yeah. approach, a disciplined answer. Um, and you know, it's funny cause nutrition has changed you know, so much uh, in the time that, you know, we've been, you know, quote unquote, working out, you know, but going back to high school until now, it's like every five, six, seven years, there's a new take on it. Macros is the one that's now. So I'm not sure you've ever heard of Matt Frazier, but Matt Frazier is a five-time CrossFit champion. He's actually from, he's actually from Vermont. Um, And he was on the Joe Rogan podcast recently. And he was saying that his, like the top-notch, top-flight science fitness guy tells him that after his hardest workout he should have a snickers and a coke and he's been do- and he's been doing that since he's been training crossfit and he says it just keeps working for me so i keep doing it so i i think the other thing that people kind of forget is that body chemistry is so different that i think it's probably yeah. impossible to say well this is the right way because this is the right way maybe for this body type or this body chemistry but there could be somebody else who needs something completely different because their body's just different totally you know? yeah no that's that's spot on yeah. and matt i'm actually glad in a way that he retired because now he's got his youtube channel so we can get all of his workouts and not have to pay for it <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> I know. he seems super down to earth seems like a true new englander he does yeah i like him um all right have you uh, have you ever attempted to build two bedrooms onto a house during the middle of a hurricane? <laughs> so yeah, but we didn't. The, the concept didn't start in the middle of a hurricane. Okay, but we were. It was our the first house that we were here in Maine, and we were expecting. Uh, well, we just had Sarah, yep. and I think at that point we might have been expecting Jake. And the whole point being is that we needed bedrooms. Right. And so I, I, the, the whole project, although it came out wonderfully, the whole project, I guess, the omen was that the day I started the demo, which was to take the roof off of the garage, it was the hottest day of that entire summer. So right there probably told me that I was going down the wrong path or at least at the wrong time. And I finally got all of that ripped off. Um, We were going to be going away uh, for a week. I don't remember where we were off to. And I had the the framing up, like the the big, the major bones of it, if you will, the LVLs that were going east, west, and north, south on the um, uh, for the uh, for the roof. Mm -hmm. And I had draped the tarp over it. And I had pulled that tarp across the driveway to a big tree, and I strapped it in and screwed the strapping in um, to the side of the existing house, and I had it as taut as you could ever hope for. Yep. And wouldn't you know it, um, but basically a hurricane came up and came through. Good Lord. And it was like 4 in the morning, and um, all of a sudden you heard a sound that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. It sounded like a freight train 
was coming through the house. Oh. And it was just hundreds, if not thousands, of gallons of water that had built up in the tarp and finally snapped. No way. And came, yeah. And I had just done, I had just laid the, the TNG subfloor. And it came, obviously ruined that, took out all the insulation that was between that and the downstairs. The old pull-down stairs to that attic space was right above my work desk, and my laptop was literally the, the drop zone. Oh. So my entire work thing got destroyed. And I was just standing out there in my boxers at 5 in the morning um, looking at all of this in complete and utter shock. And... Um, yeah, we, we, we got it tightened up again before we left on vacation, but we had to just leave it as it was and started, you know, basically get all the, the water damage eradicated before we could uh, move forward. And, and Paul was a big help at that point back yeah. then, too. And But, yeah, it was just it was just one of those you've got to be kidding me moments. You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I was visualizing it as you were telling the story, and even though... I never had to worry about that situation. I was never involved in it. I could feel, I could feel the stress and the anxiousness oh of like standing there and being like, well, now what? What the fuck do I do now? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. It, it was just, it was, yeah, you just, you didn't know. And, and yeah, we were sitting there cutting up sheetrock and pulling out insulation. And then wouldn't you know, but the insurance guy comes by like, maybe a day later because i think it maybe it was a saturday and so he wasn't coming out on a sunday so he got there monday and he was like why'd you do all this i would have like we would have just paid somebody to do it so you know paul paul helped we all burned basically a day and a half of trying to rip all this stuff out and everything and we should have just had the insurance guys do it but uh it was it sucked it, yeah. it just it just sucked no no other way to put it yep yep wow well it's you got you got through it that's what matters the most all right so we're going to stick yep. with the um Things that happen when you're a homeowner theme. And uh, I'm wondering if you can help tell and explain to my studio audience and anybody listening about the joys of realizing that a, a sewer main has burst underneath your property. <laughs> so if you could bottle it and sell it, you'd make millions, right? It's that good of a feeling. <laughs> So uh, we're, we're sitting, so the, there are so many, right, different sides of this coin, right? The, the, the shitty side, and pun intended, <laughs> is that you, you walk into the apartment, the, the back story is your daughter is moving home after two years of being away. Right. And you're like a week out from that arrival, and the apartment that you have ready for her now has literally shit and toilet water oh floating my God. across the bathroom floor and into the bedroom. Yep. So talking about a stressor, right, there we are, Winterbrook, the hurricane comes through right before we're about to leave for vacation. Um, Allison's due home in a week's time or what have you, and the apartment is basically flooded. So... The, that, that's, that's the shitty side of the coin. The positive side of the coin is, one, my dad had our family tractor in Sudbury on a trailer ready to go. Yeah. And so, ironically, we hadn't brought it up yet, but it was, ready, it was, on, it was planned to come up. This just sort of made it happen. Um, the, the collapse, once we figured it all out, um, was not in the slab. It was to a place where I could actually access it. So that was huge. Huge win, yeah. And um, it w wasn't winter yet. It was October. And so the ground wasn't frozen. Um, and so there, there were many positives and the fact that um, I was lucky enough that I could self-perform and, and do all of that. Yeah. Um, because frankly, if I had had to pay somebody to come in with a backhoe and dig all of that out and do all of that, it was about $15 worth of PVC and PVC glue and some gaskets. Mm -hmm. But the, the labor and the machinery probably would have cost me 3500 So it's, um, you know, again, it, it's that it's really shitty that it happened. <laughs> um, really lucky that I could do it myself and did it. Yep. 
and uh, we were able to do it in time so that um, so that Allison came back with uh, really none the wiser, right? Right. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it. But yeah, the joys of uh, home ownership. It's, there it um, is. It's it's never ending. You you get something, you learn something almost every day. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, all right, next question: Facebook mostly good or mostly bad? Haven't been on it in earnest in years. Smart. Um, so I, when recently on it, it was because we were looking for snowmobiles um, on Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we were able to find some sort of, this kind of goes right back to your whole thing is technology and is raising kids better now than it was before, easier or harder. Um, you know, what would we have done back in our day? You and I would have been flipping through the Uncle Henry's or the Want Advertiser or the Portsmouth Crier or something, right? Looking, thumbing through every Wednesday when it came out, who was selling their, their bike or their motorcycle or their car or their, their snowmobile. Yeah. Um, here you put in these queries and, you know, Jake had a multitude of choices. So, um, I think there's an advantage there, but I do think I, I, I watched something on Ted recently and the woman said, don't compare your inside to somebody else's outside. And Ah, I think that that. is the the perfect Mm -hmm. synopsis of Facebook, right? Um, that I, I, I think that more people than not, even if you're not doing it purposefully, there is a, I'll call it a shadow of comparison. Yeah. Right. And I just think that that's it's just unnecessary pressure. Um, you know, again, comparing yourself inside how you feel to somebody's snapshot of that instantaneous moment of them on a beach drinking a, a, a frozen drink. Um, you know, a second after that, they could have been the most miserable person in the world. <laughs> yeah, so or, just, or before, or both. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, I just, um, you know, I, I, it's like with everything. Um, I sound like my mom. Moderation, right? If well, you use it. it so you can stay connected to a couple people, and you use it so that you can get to your reunions, or I hear about, because we still do the soccer reunion for the high school, and that's usually informed through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Great. But sitting there just aimlessly scrolling through feeds to see, you know, who cooked what for dinner last night, or I don't know. It just, no, I just I don't have an appetite for that whatsoever. Yeah, amen. Everything you said, I, I, I agree with that. Um, okay, so... Um, this is this is going to lend on your experience. I know you've done some work with solar energy, um, and you've probably knowing the type of person you are, you've probably looked in and researched all the different types of renewable energy. Obviously, I mean, and this is a, my opinion only, but uh, my opinion is that obviously there's there's finite non-renewable, you know, oil, coal, all that stuff that eventually will run out and is throwing carbon into the air. And then you've got your renewables you've got you know your solar your wind your hydro you've got other stuff um of all the renewable energy sources that are currently available there might be something in the future that we don't even think of you know harvesting something out of the air or solar you know a different type of solar that you can bottle up and bring home who knows but right now today what's available what do you think has the best chance of actually being adopted in a mainstream way so that it truly helps not just a blip, but like is a big part of energy production. Yeah. So it's interesting because where my head goes is a couple of different places. When we used to do calculations on the solar that we built up in Canada, for example, which mm-hmm. was about 60 megawatts in total, and what that carbon offset would be on an annualized basis, and yet, how much carbon did it take to actually create, transport, and install that system, right? So that you may build a 10 megawatt, you know, parcel, um, but your carbon footprint, you may not be net neutral and beyond for four years, right? Right, Because of all the steel that had to be made, all the trucks that had to transport it, and all the people having to drive to the site and build it and all the diesel that we bought and the machines that we had to rent and everything else. Um, 
So that's my little editorial on that. When I think about there's massive, massive offshore wind going on right now, and that excites me, and I love it. Um, but I also worry about the disruption and sort of, I'll call it oceanic disruption, because I, I'm not sure that we know everything, you know, don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Um, I love battery and EVs, and I love storage. Yeah. But I also get worried about elements and copper and things that we're going to run out of in the next, I mean, I think there was one thing that said we're going to be out of copper by 2050. Rare earth. So, right? Yeah. So how do you how do you work around the rare earth metals because they are equally finite, yep. but they just produce something that is greener, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this massive balance between, I'll say, carbon, carbon footprint extraction versus future carbon footprint savings. Mm -hmm. And where do you find that sweet spot? Um, and how do you do it without making sure um, that you aren't literally um, just pillaging every single final ounce of whatever that rare earth metal is to, to make it all happen? Yeah. Um, so I haven't solved that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, get on that, will you? Um, Everybody's waiting. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's the stuff that literally. So I've got I've got a solar company coming to look at the house uh, the sixteenth oh, cool. of April. That's awesome. Um, and trying to figure out what we can do there. You know that Jake um, has always been very Tesla, you know, a pro-Tesla guy and oh, wants yeah. EVs and wants a Tesla power wall for storage. Um, so we're going through those. Um, but I've also got great passion for, um, you know, how do you stack steel 15 miles offshore so you can have a wind farm that could literally light up New England? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's exciting stuff. And they've got some stuff going on, I think, off the vineyard. Um, this upcoming is just getting through approvals right now. Um, exciting stuff. But again, my fear is just in in 20 years, we're going to look back and somebody's going to say, well, that was stupid. Right. Why um, didn't we think about I, that? I, I just, yeah. 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 So that's a good point. Um, I, I, I think it, there's there's a way to make that to make it work. But to your point, you got to look at every part of it. And I'm glad that I'm not the person that's responsible for figuring that one out um okay so you uh you share an experience with your sister and that you guys have both jumped out of a plane at a high altitude with a parachute on your back and um i was yes. i was actually shocked when she said that her training consisted of uh, a, a couch cushion laying on it and kind of lifting her hands up in the air and that was pretty much it so my question for you specifically is because there's the only difference is that the the when it happened like yours just happened recently right uh and hers happened a long time ago i'm assuming that you had more training than hey sit on this couch cushion so i think the cushions might just be a little thicker now than they were <laughs> okay. um it, it, it's really it's a very you know, they, they basically just need you to get your arms out, your legs out, and your head up, your chin up. Yep. And as long as you're doing that, and you're in this is tandem, and you're attached, you're okay. Right. Um, and there's really no way to teach you that other than to get on your stomach and just do a Superman, basically. You know, um, on the uh, on the floor. Right. So uh, that was that. What was funny for me, so we were, um, and I listened to the, the podcast with Dre, um, so we were at 14,000 feet, and our free fall was for about a minute. Okay. And then you, you pull it, and you do the guiding and the driving, if you will, and left and right and so forth, and you, you come down. But the funny thing is, is that my guy, at least, was, let's say, very personable about, hey, you've got to keep your head up. And you're, if you don't keep your head up, I'm going to smack you in the forehead. Like, I'm going to give you a, a, a you know, biff off the forehead to tell you to get your head up. Yep. And you kind of, at least for me, you're not really, I don't know that you assume that, like, that forehead crack is going to leave a mark or something, right? You just assume he's just going to sort of tap you to get <laughs> your, your head up. Right. And it was like I was in a three-round fight. I was sitting there, and you want to look down. You want to see everything around you. You want to look where you're going. Yeah, of course. And all of a sudden, it's like he's taking a full swing and smacking me off the forehead. 
<laughs> and then, so then you're like, all right, I get it. And so like three seconds later, you're like, shit, what's that? And you look down again and whack, he smacks you again. So he probably nailed me like, I don't know, seven to nine times in a minute. Um, <laughs> cause I kept looking down, but, um, it, it was, uh, we, I jumped with Justin and Allison, um, for my 50th birthday. Yeah. Um, Ellen had gotten that for me for a gift and Allison had come back from Portland, Oregon, just for my the 50th. And it was, um, just a phenomenal, <clears throat> phenomenal experience. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So, but it's, it's funny, but yeah, no, it's, it's couch pillows on the floor. And it's funny to watch everybody else in the room because you know, well, you don't know, but you get this vibe again, right, of who's going to get up there and kind of be really no way I'm not going to go Yep. versus, um, you know, and granted, some are posturing. But anyways, it's just it's a it's a funny dynamic in that room. Yeah, I'm the no way guy. I can tell you that right now. I'm the no way guy. <laughs> All right. So we are we are down to the final two questions. Um, so second to last question. What can you tell me about riding a bicycle across country to raise money for a charitable cause? Well, I can tell you about riding a bicycle from Portland, Oregon to San Francisco for just crazy, no reason at all. Oh, okay. And so I'm guessing that you probably got that from Nicole. So that was in the same conversation as my collarbone versus my knee. Yeah, her her memory is shot, apparently. (laughs) I did a charity bike ride in Sudbury where we raised money and the person that ran did the most miles, a.k.a. raised the most money, got a free bike. Okay. And I did that, I don't know, like 82, 83, something like that. Yep. In the summer between um, junior high school and, and high school, so this would have been the summer of 83, I think it was, um, Jim Andelman and I, um, another kid from Sudbury, jumped on an American Youth Hostel trip which was um, like 15 of us from Portland, Oregon. You fly your bike out to Portland. Um, you stay in hostels or tents on the beach, and you bike Portland, Oregon to San Francisco, a 1,000 miles over 30 days, 30 calendar days. Oh, that is so And about cool. 20, 20 biking days. Wow. And um, I still have memories of, you know, playing Ultimate Frisbee on the beach um, yeah. at night. Um, of the coming through Sausalito, um, heading down towards the Golden Gate Bridge, um, going through the tunnel in Sausalito. It was late at night. We were trying to make the end. Um, we tried to hit our century. So getting your century patch typically is a big thing, especially when you're 13 or 14 years old. Right. Uh, we hit 98 miles um, and had to stop. It was literally like 10 o'clock at night. We were out near Bandon, Oregon, um, and we're looking at our maps, and this is all paper at this point, right? There yeah. was nothing out there in terms of GPS. Right. So you're looking at paper maps with your headlamp, and we realized that once we came through this town and went up, that the next town was going to be like 27 miles um, down the road. And there was no way, you know, at 98 miles, you go two, you, you were going to 27. Yeah. And we yeah. just couldn't do it. So we literally pulled over and pitched a tent in the grassy area in front of a rest area information booth, Okay. Um, like 15 feet from the highway, like from the Pacific Coast Highway, Wow! and, and slept there. And wow. um, as pissed as we were not making it, we were happy because the next morning, as we biked to that next town, um, that's where we ended up eating breakfast that next morning, and those first 27 miles sucked. So we would have been, had we tried to make it, we just, it would have been just misery. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, but yeah, it was a phenomenal trip. We didn't see rain until we got to the airport um, in San Francisco to come home, which was unheard of. Um, and I also got to go see the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time in San Francisco oh when I was 13 God. years old. And that was a trip and a half. <clears throat> that will open your eyes right there. Yep. That what an experience! That is a great. That's even. I mean, I I had a picture of you doing something a lot less involved. That's pretty cool. I mean, and a thousand miles. Look, it might not be across country, but that's a great thousand miles to go on your bike. That's really that's really something. Oh. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. All yeah. right. So uh, it is. It's my understanding that you have an experimental electric tricycle laboratory in your garage. So my question for you is, have you taken the prototype for a drive? 
I have not. Okay. Um, Jake has had it out and about, and that has been his brainchild for quite some time. Um, he's had it, and it's, I think right now he's had it up to like 30 or 35. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Um, he's now trying to tweak it. He's got some battery voltage issues that the one place that I'm, um, not, if I could, when it comes to, let's say tech and building and everything else, electric is probably where I'm the weakest, right? I can pull wire, I can put a light in and stuff like that. But when you start talking about amps versus volts versus whatever else, and what do you got to do to this or that, or how do you wire this up? I just kind of, it all goes gray on me. Right. So he's got some voltage amperage challenges that he's working through. Um, but that's been his, uh, you know, that's been his, um, his project and he's just done a phenomenal job with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, so Jake, as you know, did, did some work at my house. My audio visual got me all hooked up. And, uh, when I was driving him, I think I was driving him over to, uh, Lexi's that Marina over there to meet you guys one night. And it was the first time that I had heard about this thing he was building and he was trying to describe it to me. And I'm picturing this tricycle that's got this mat, like this motor that's going to make the thing move. And so I'm talking to him. I'm like, what happens if like you turn the wheel too hard and you're going really fast? He's like, oh, you're going to wipe out. I'm like, oh, okay. That's that's a stupid question, Ethan. Yep. Um, But anyways, it it was cool to hear him because, look, a lot of kids his age talk about doing things and talk is cheap. It's easy to say, oh, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make that. But, you know, he talked about it. And then he goddamn did it. I mean, he went out and he figured out what motor to get, what tires to get, how to put it together. And he turned, I haven't seen it in operation. I certainly would never drive it, but he picked it up off, he turned it on and he had it going. And that thing has got some, it's got some get up and go to it. Yeah, it, it, it does. And, you know, it's something that's interesting because I was never also um you know a motorhead basically yeah. right i've never changed my own oil or stuff like that i i just that's just again hasn't been my wheelhouse um justin his older brother and he um they just put a lift kit in justin's girlfriend's jeep this past weekend oh, wow. they redid justin's brakes they've done multiple oil changes he you know modifies the ruckus um, he's been with his friends, Ethan, working on, uh, he picked up, uh, like a 95 Bronco that they're going to rewire and use. They've done it to the go-kart that you saw the tire yeah. snap off of, <laughs> and, uh, yep. they've done it to the snowmobiles. So it's just, it's a whole new world for me to watch these guys come in, grease, you know, up to their elbows, um, working on these motors and these machines where I'm more of a give me a two by four and a chop saw and a nail gun and I'm uh, I'm all good. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, hats off to him and hats off to you. I, I said it earlier, but I'll I'll say it again. You've done a tremendous job. You got a great family, um, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. If you could see my studio audience, they're doing the wave. They're they're all excited. They're they're jumping up and down, and uh, they're they're happy you came too. So again, Todd, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for putting up with all my questions. And I hope you have a great evening. No, thanks for having me, Ethan. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Bye.